Now, brothers and sisters, if you will, if you have access to a Bible where you're sitting, uh, or if you need to take time to get up and get one, we ask that you grab your Bibles and look at Numbers chapter 20 along with us. Numbers chapter 20 is where we're at. If you have not been with us in these last uh, couple months, we've been in the book of Numbers and going successively through it, and we come now to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers is the fourth book in your Bibles from the beginning, and so it's not too hard to find. It's a pretty big book. And so we're in Numbers chapter 20 this morning, and here in just a moment I'll start in verse 1. Now as we come to this text, I want you to think about this with me. One decision can change the course of our entire lives. One decision can alter the experience of our entire lives. How many of us have experienced this? How many of us have experienced a decision that altered our life for the better, that we can look back on and we can thank the Lord for that one decision? But there are also many who look back on their lives and wish desperately that they could have a do-over at that one moment, from that one decision, that one mistake, that one sin that altered the course of their entire life that they wish hadn't gone that way. Well, today, as we come to Numbers chapter 20, Moses makes a life-altering decision here, one that will change the course of his entire life. But we also see, as he does this, God, as God so often does, God uses even the sinful rebellion of Moses to show us his glory in a way that we would not have otherwise seen it had it not been for the sinful decision of Moses. Now, this chapter, we need to know this, you need to know this as we come to this, this chapter, chapter 20, is bookended by two important events that we're not going to spend much time on. Moses loses the two people that are closest to him in his life. The chapter starts by Moses losing his sister, Miriam. The death of Miriam happens at the very beginning. We'll read over that here in just a second. But the chapter ends, and we won't even get to this point, the chapter ends with the death of Aaron. Moses' brother, the one whom the Lord has given to Moses as his mouthpiece, as his helper, from the time that Moses went to Pharaoh and the ten plagues of Egypt. Aaron's been with him the whole time, and Aaron dies. And so this chapter is bookended by these two tragic events in Moses' life, and in the middle of it, Moses loses his opportunity to go into the promised land. So this is a very hard chapter for Moses, a very instructive chapter for us. Let's read our text this morning. Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 13, okay? Follow along with me in your copy, if you will. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. If you have a different version, that's perfectly fine. Uh, Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff 
and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, the people have no water, and again, they grumble and complain and blame it on Moses and Aaron. And as they do, Moses and Aaron, as they often do when they experience the grumbling and complaining of the people, they seek the Lord. And the Lord tells Moses, speak to the rock. Speak to this big rock that is next to you guys and wherever you're camped at right now. And when you speak to it, it will yield water for you out of a rock, miraculously. And then everybody will have water to drink, the people and the livestock. But Moses goes and strikes the rock twice, and the people get water. And the people get the, the, the sustenance that they need. But God has an issue with Moses and what he did. And so I want, to see, I want you to see two things from our text this morning. First, we're going to look at the sin of Moses. This is what's happening on the surface of our text. The sin of Moses. And we've got a few lessons that we can glean from Moses' sin this morning. Lessons that we can take away and apply to our own lives. But then after that, I want to show you Second, God is doing something glorious behind the scenes here. God is doing something glorious behind the scenes here. And I want to show it to you after we look at the sin of Moses. But first, let's look at the sin of Moses and see what we can take away from it. Now, what was it about Moses hitting the rock that was so wrong? What was it about him hitting the rock that was so wrong in the sight of God? Well, let's take that and analyze it first. He disobeyed a clear and direct command from God. Moses disobeyed a clear and direct command from God. God said, speak to the rock. And instead, Moses strikes it. All right? God said, speak to the rock. And Moses does not speak to it. He strikes it. Now, what we take away from this, first and foremost, is when God gives a command, we have no right to change it. When God gives a command, we have no right to change it or to take the liberty upon ourselves to do something slightly different than what the Lord clearly and expressly commanded. We do not have the liberty to mess with God's words. At the very end of your Bibles, in the book of Revelation, the very last chapter, almost the very last verse, in Revelation twenty-two eighteen, 18, we hear the words of Jesus saying this, I warn everybody who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share 
in the tree of life, and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Revelation 22, 18 through 19. You see, God's words are perfectly precise and exactly the way that he intended to give them. God has done this on purpose. God has given us his words exactly the way he wants them to be given. And we have no liberty, no right to change them, even if slightly. You see, many people today, many modern people today, look at God's word and think, surely he couldn't mean that. They'll come to places in the Bible and say, surely he doesn't mean what it's saying there. Surely doesn't, God doesn't mean we're supposed to do that today. It sounds so archaic. It sounds so wrong. It goes against everything sensible that we've been taught by our world and our culture. Surely he couldn't mean that. So it's, it's not a big deal if we just change one little part of it, right? Not a big deal if we just change one little part of it. Friends, it's an extraordinarily big deal because of who we are dealing with here, of whose words we are dealing with here. This is the God of the universe. And the arrogance, the absolute arrogance for a human being to think that we could improve upon God's commands. The arrogance that that takes. I, I can't help but imagine how, how angered that makes God and how ridiculous that sounds in his mind. And yet, that's essentially what Moses is doing here. Taking a clear and direct command of God and saying, Ah, I think I better do it this, this different way. I know God said that, but I, I think we better do it this other way. And so, first and foremost, Moses disobeys a direct command from God, which is an extraordinarily serious act of rebellion when you consider this God that we are dealing with. Now, second... Moses let his frustration with the people get the better of him, didn't he? He let his frustration with the people get the better of him. Look at verse 10 with me in our text one more time. Verse 10. It says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, listen to what he says. He says, Hear now, you rebels. Do you get the sense that Moses' frustration is coming out here? Hear now, you rebels, right? Now you can see how Moses' emotions might have gotten the better of him here. What's just happened? Well, his, his sister has just died, right? Moses has been leading these people through the wilderness, and we see throughout the book of Numbers, they're, they're constantly grumbling and complaining against Moses and against Aaron, blaming them and, and setting themselves against the will of the Lord. Right? You can see how his emotions could have gotten the better of him, but, but... Frustration with others and the sin of others can lead us into sin ourselves. And we have to watch out for this. Frustration with the sins of others can lead us into sin ourselves. And we have to beware of that. Now, Jesus got frustrated with the sin of others, yes. But for Jesus, it was different. Think about Jesus and the temple. Jesus getting out the whip and driving out the money changers and the sellers at the temple. There in John chapter 2 and in the other Gospels it happens in other chapters. But when Jesus does this, right, he's getting angry because of the fact that God was being dishonored. Jesus' anger does not stem from people making his life harder. Right? Jesus never got angry about that when people made his life harder. Jesus got angry when God and the glory of God was dishonored. Right? 
And the difference between Jesus' anger and our anger, as it typically is, is that we get angry, we get frustrated when people do something against us, when people make our life harder, when our glory is dishonored, or our comfort is interrupted, right? And so we've got to beware of this. The frustration that we feel toward others sometimes and the sin of others can lead us into sin ourselves. And one takeaway here is it's so very important that we go to God for satisfaction and not try to find it in people or circumstances. It's crucial that we go to God and to God alone for our joy, for our day-to-day satisfaction. Because if you can find satisfaction for your heart and your soul in God alone, then the frustrations of this life won't be able to touch you. The frustrations of this life will be there, yes. They'll be frustrating, yes. But they won't lead you into sin like it did with Moses. If you find your satisfaction and your joy in God alone. But if you're trying to find your day-to-day joy in people or circumstances, well, pretty soon they're going to disappoint you. No matter who it is, pretty soon they're going to disappoint you. Pretty soon the circumstances of life are going to disappoint you. And so it's crucial that we go to God and God alone for our satisfaction. It's crucial that we go to God every day. Every morning we go to Him in prayer and in time in the Word for heart-level, soul-level satisfaction. Because that's the only place where we can really find it. You see, He gives us grace for each day. He gives us enough grace for each day. Matthew 6.34 says, Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Today, God gives you enough grace for today. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, He renews us day by day. Lamentations chapter 3 says, His mercies are new every morning. And so today, today, April what 26th, today we go to God and to find grace and mercy for today. And then tomorrow we're going to need to go back to the well once again. We go back every single day and we find mercies new every morning. We find enough grace for that day. And then tomorrow we got to go back all over again. And God will give yet again enough grace for that day. And so Moses lets his frustration with the people get the better of him here. But third and ultimately, what was Moses' sin about? Ultimately, it's verse 12. Look at what God says to Moses in verse 12. God says, because you did not believe in me. Because you did not believe in me. You see, a lost temper, a lack of self-control from Moses, a veering from God's command, all those are actually from lack of belief. Moses' sin here is actually a lack of belief. Unbelief is his sin. Now, how so? How does that work? Well, think about it. Moses failed to believe that following God's orders in God's way would satisfy him more than doing it his way. Moses failed to believe that following God's orders in God's way would satisfy him more than doing it his own way. Moses failed to believe that God could satisfy every need of his heart, even when the people were grumbling and rebelling once again. Moses failed to believe that God could still satisfy the needs of his heart. And perhaps Moses even failed to believe in God's goodness. Remember, it's God that has appointed Moses to this task. It's God that has laid the burden on Moses' shoulders of leading these people and representing them before God. And so perhaps Moses is falling into a moment of feeling like, 
I don't like that God did this. I don't like that God gave me this task. Perhaps I'm doubting God's goodness here. And so his sin was unbelief. And brothers and sisters, you could say that every single one of our sins, every sin that we ever commit, is essentially unbelief at the root. Every sin that we commit is unbelief. Let's think about it for a second. Give you a few examples. Lust. What is lust? What's when we don't believe that God is more satisfying than sexual pleasure? It's unbelief. What is greed? Greed is when we don't believe that God is giving us everything we need for true happiness, even for just a moment. What is bitterness? Bitterness is when we don't believe God when he says, if we refuse to forgive others, he will not forgive us. Every sin that we commit, brothers and sisters, is essentially unbelief. Every sin that we commit. But God also said in verse 12, look one more time, God also said in verse 12, You did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. Moses failed to uphold the Lord as holy in the eyes of the people. Moses was taking glory away from God and seeking it for himself. And this is extremely serious. Taking glory away from God and trying to get it for himself. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, remember, Moses says, Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses makes no mention to the people of the power of God and what God will do for the people. He just says, Shall we bring water out of this rock? As if it's his power that this will happen. As if it's by Moses' power that all of these things have been happening throughout this journey from Egypt eventually to the promised land. And then instead of speaking to the rock, as God said, Moses strikes it, which very well might have been Moses seeking to show off what he thought was his own power. Right? Moses is seeking glory for himself. Now throughout his time as the leader of the Israelites, and throughout his time as God's representative to the people, Moses has done a pretty good job of giving God his due glory and getting out of the way himself. Moses has done a pretty good job of this, but here, here he falls to his pride. And it's a serious sin when you try to take glory away from God. All of us have to watch out for this, especially those people who are leading others. I have to watch out for this, right? I have to be sure to work hard to make sure that you know that this church does not depend on a man. This church depends on the glory of God and the power of God and the worship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is leading this church, not me, not the elders. Jesus is leading this church. And my job is simply to point us to Jesus, right? I want to be John the Baptist. He must become greater. I must become less. Jesus is the one who gets the glory, not a man. And so when we come to church or when we come back to church and we're all gathering, I don't, I don't want people to come here and to think, oh, so-and-so is speaking today. So I'm either excited or not excited about that because the person that's speaking. No, I want us to come together as a church family and as a body of Christ to think, we get to hear from the Lord today. It doesn't matter who's preaching, we get to hear from the Lord today. We get to worship the Lord today. This is not about a man. This is about our Lord. This is about our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is about God and His glory. That's why our church exists. When you think about Acts chapter 12, 
And Herod's speech. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod makes a speech to the people. Apparently it was a great speech because the people answer him after the speech is over and say, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. And it says immediately because Herod did not deflect that praise back to God. He did not correct the people. An angel of the Lord struck him dead. An angel of the Lord struck him dead and worms ate his body. Why? Because God takes it supremely serious. Supremely serious when people try to take glory away from him and keep it for themselves. And so all of that is Moses' sin, okay? Moses' sin. But like I said earlier, God is doing something wonderfully glorious behind the scenes here. Wonderfully glorious. And what is it? He's pointing us to Jesus. All the way back in Numbers chapter 20, God is preparing people for Jesus. God is pointing us forward to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Three ways specifically that God is doing this in our text. Number one, Moses' sin shows us we need a better hero. Moses' sin shows us we need a better hero. Even Moses, the chosen leader, the chosen mediator between God and the people, the greatest man to ever live up to this point you could say. Even Moses has his flaws. Even Moses is prone to sin. And so it shows us that Moses can't be the hero we're looking for. We need a better hero. We need Jesus. Think about this. Why do we love superhero stories as human beings, as a culture? Why are there three million superhero movies with another 50 in the pipe coming down from Marvel and everybody? Why do we love superhero stories? Well, it's because we're looking for a hero to win the battle for us all. We all long for that. We're we're made like that. We're looking, we're longing for the one who comes from another world and sacrifices himself for the human race. We are longing for the one who is wiser and smarter and stronger than all the rest of us. We are longing for the one who is worthy to wield the ultimate weapon. We are longing for someone with powers that we don't have to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We long for a hero. Human beings long for this. Everybody is longing for that ultimate hero. They're longing for Jesus. Even people who don't acknowledge it, we're longing for Jesus. Every figure in the Old Testament that we look to as a moral example All those figures, all those people also show us that that we ultimately cannot hope in them because they have their own sins. They have their own failures. Ultimately, they're they're not heroes. They're just people who are showing us that, that they're not the hero, that we need another hero, that somebody else has to come. We need a better hero. We need Jesus. So God's showing us Jesus in that way here. Number two, the second way God's pointing us to Jesus is through... When we we ask the question, why does God prevent Moses from entering the promised land here? Why does God prevent Moses from entering the promised land after this one sin? God says because of this one sin, he can't go in. Well, and think about if anybody deserved, if anyone deserved to enter the promised land, surely it was Moses, right? So what's going on? Well, in his ultimate wisdom, God gives us two pictures Two pictures of relating to him. Two pictures of how we can relate to God in the Old Testament. God gives us two pictures. Right? Moses represents the first. Moses represents the law. Trying to relate to God through the law. You see, some will try to work their way to the promised land, to heaven, by being good enough. 
by obedience to the law. But no one will ever be saved this way. No one will ever be saved by being good enough. There is no one who is good. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul teaches us in the book of Romans, the law does not exist to save us. It could never save anyone. It exists to show us our need for a Savior. You can't get to heaven, to the promised land, by obedience to the law. Now think about the law. The law was given to whom? To Moses on Mount Sinai. So Moses, who represents the law is kept from entering the promised land to show us the law can never lead us to the ultimate promised land. You can't get to the promised land by the law. But I said there was two ways that God chose us to relate to him. You see, who ends up succeeding Moses as the leader of the people? Well, it's Joshua. It's Joshua. And Joshua represents the other way to relate to God, the way of grace. You see, salvation is not about who deserves it. If anyone deserved it, it was Moses. But salvation isn't about who deserves it. It's about God saving us in spite of what we deserve. That's grace. Joshua leads the people into the land, not Moses. To show us that you can't reach the promised land by law keeping, but only by the gracious gift of God. And so Moses is kept from leading the people into the promised land, as a picture that the law can never get us to heaven. And it's no coincidence that Joshua's very name and the Hebrew version of Jesus' name, Yahshua, Yeshua, they're virtually identical and they both mean the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And so God shows us Jesus in that way. But third and finally, God points us to Jesus with the rock. That rock that gave them water. You see, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he makes it easy for us. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. You remember 1 Corinthians 10, we've referred to this a number of times in our journey through the book of Numbers. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul starts talking about all these things that happened, especially in the book of Numbers. And he says they all happened as examples for us today. They happened as examples for us. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3, says this, And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Listen to this. Jesus is the rock who, after being unlawfully struck, gives water to those who are parched and thirsty, wandering in the wilderness. Let me repeat that. Jesus is the rock who, after being unlawfully struck, gives water to those who are parched and thirsty, wandering in the wilderness. You see, here in Numbers, Moses was never supposed to strike the rock. He was never supposed to strike the rock. Well, Jesus was struck down by the Romans as a result of a mock trial, having never done anything wrong his entire life. Here in Numbers, God in his grace still grants the rebellious sinful Israelites the water they needed through the rock. Did you notice that? Did you notice in our story how in spite of the sin and rebellion of the people, and in spite of the rebellion of Moses himself, God still grants them what they need, water from the rock. Right? And we, 
are rebellious and sinful, yet God in his grace gives us what we need through Christ, through the rock. And so in the New Testament, when Jesus in John 4 is speaking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he says this. He says, everyone who drinks of this water, physical water at that well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Is that you this morning? Do you feel that? Do you say, I I need satisfaction in my soul and I've been looking for it everywhere else and I've found disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. I need this water that I can drink that I'll, I'll never be thirsty again. Come to the rock of Jesus Because that is the only place you will ever find the satisfaction that your soul longs for. He's the only hero that your soul longs for. He's the only one that can give us what we need, even though we don't deserve it. And he's the only way that we can get to the promised land. He's the only way. 